0: Hello and welcome to the Hindsight Podcast on a very fantastic Monday morning. It's a pleasure to have Solis Chuku join us on the podcast this morning. The two, three days after Nigeria play, alone, uh, played Serie Alone actually. And of course, we've got that second leg coming up tomorrow evening. Solis, good morning. Welcome along to the podcast. Good morning, Yubi. It's a real pleasure to be here. Fantastic. And the sound of your voice just tells me that you haven't still recovered from everything Nigeria <laughs> managed to inflict on us.
1: Uh, that, that, was, that was a thoroughly, thoroughly forgettable, harrowing Friday um, present we got from the Super Eagles against Sierra and I mean, the game seemed done and dusted completely won within the opening half hour. And then we got a rude shock in the second half as the goals just kept flying in. And at some point, you wondered is someone going to take control of this? Is someone going to put his foot down? Is someone going to show some kind of leadership? But um, that was not to be at all.
0: Was it the best first half performance you've seen from the Super Eagles?
1: goals? Uh, I think you'd have to factor in the fact that Sierra Leone were pretty poor in the opening 35-40 um, minutes of the game. I mean, if they had a proper goalkeeper, for one thing, I think two of Nigeria's four goals at least would have been saved. And I don't think Sierra Leone really offered much resistance. That opening period. So no, I wouldn't say the best first half performance. I think we've seen better, but the quality of the opposition um, definitely paid a part, and that just goes to show how um, that just made the second half comeback even more surprising and more more of an indictment on Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Well, luckily,
0: let's bring you into uh, the conversation. Good morning to you. As uh, far as uh, all things Nigeria are concerned, what do you make of that performance? Uh, is it more of an inquest from your point of view, luckily?
2: Um. Good morning. Good morning, Solis. Good morning, Ub. Uh, feels good to be back on the podcast. So I thought it was a, it was a shocking game, an embarrass, an embarrassment of a game. Um. After the two friendlies Nigeria played in the last international break, um, Nigerian fans wanted some sort of victory, and it felt like that in the first half of the game. To capitulate in that manner is it, it, it takes the team, you know multiple lots of steps back and you know a lot has been said about how much work the manager has done up until this moment it feels like you know everything has crumbled after that game because you're talking Syria alone um Solis mentioned rightfully that the quality of the opposition on the day if we're talking about winning the AFCON and doing well at the World Cup we're going to be playing against teams that are much more better so it was it was an embarrassing game
0: so, Liz, are you allowed a performance like this in a, in a six-game series? It's because, I mean, you look across the, the continent and you look at Ghana, you look at South Africa, Cote d'Ivoire, you know, all these powerful teams have had one or two shocking performances. Is Nigeria insulated from this sort of performances, or is this something that, um, you know, should not be happening? Uh, I think the format
1: of the qualifiers and of the AFCON now which has been expanded, sort of means that teams can get away with the performance like this. I mean, we know two teams qualify from each group, so there isn't really much at stake when stuff like this happens. I guess that has also filled some complacency from not only Nigeria, but some of the top sides across Africa at the moment. I, mean, I, I think only Senegal are perfect in qualifying four from four. And the first team to qualify for the Afcon. So the format is more forgiving of you know missteps like this. And yeah, but ultimately you have to look beyond that and look at the actual performance on the day. And like I said, Sierra Leone were really poor. It wasn't so much a case of Nigeria being great. So when you look at that, and then you also consider how the team collapsed in the second half, there's definitely
0: cause for a lot of concern. How many steps uh, backwards does this take us? And obviously, you think about the inquest that has followed since that performance. But you, you normally you level-headed people, you know, um, the ones who are more likely to take a step back from the noise and think about it. How many steps does it take us backwards as the national team? Because we've made so much progress. That has to be said in the last couple of years.
1: Well, I think steadily. Since the end of last year, there has been a decline in terms of level of performance. It's a lot easier to write some of these things off and view them as one-offs if they weren't happening so consistently. I mean, um, there have been doubts over Gunnar Ross game management, we see that manifested time and again. Um, in a group featuring Benin Republic, Lesotho and Sierra Leone, Nigeria has yet to keep a clean sheet. So you look at stuff like that and it just seems to be recurring. and like I said, it's a lot easier to just write it off and say, okay, we had a bad day at the office. If the errors were not repeating themselves, RAW is not affecting games from the bench. He's not stemming teams when they come on strong. I mean, to a lesser degree, look at the performance against Ukraine last year. Nigeria played really well in the first half of that game. But then in the second half, Ukraine came back into it um, very quickly and, you know, it's it's not it wasn't four goals then it was just two, but you could say in a way that there was a warning from that that Nigeria tends to drop off and that the coach does not necessarily have the wherewithal to address that. So it's it's part of a recurring problem that has not been addressed, and that's why a lot of people have um, somewhat gone I don't want to say overboard, but they, they're taking this very seriously.
0: Mm. Well, Akule, let's bring you back in now, because uh, if you uh, believe what, you know, uh, Sule says, and of course, what in the, if you read the room across the Nigerian social media space and uh, pundits and fans have been talking about uh, the suitability of the manager at this moment to uh, take the team forward, I, th- I think we all have to agree or we all can agree, you know, on this podcast that he would necessarily uh, be in the job for at least a 2022 uh, uh, Nations Cup Um do we stand a better chance or a lesser chance, you know, if we you know get go to the tournament with him, because it's almost uh, difficult to pronounce you know get him out of the job, which is something a lot of people have mentioned. Um, are we just stuck with getting road till the, the two next big tournaments we have?
2: Uh, it, it feels like we are. It feels like we are, because his contract just got renewed. And I I fear for, you know, the performance of the team in the next uh, AFCON because, and this is coming from myself that, you know, I've given, I've, I've made a lot of excuses for Gennaro in the past because of where the team was coming from before he was he was handed the job. But looking at what is going on now, I mean, this, these things are happening again and again. There's no sign of the team being better at some of the things, some of the problems I've seen in years before now. And you know, so let's mention. There's, a, there's. It's always very easy to write off games like this and be like, it's just a one-off. We're going to bounce back in the next game. But reasons why you have to win games and kill games off is just is also to strike fear in the minds of future oppositions. Because you want to play the Afcon. The manner with which we were disqualified, the manner with which uh, uh, we lost against Algeria in the last Afcon, you know, we want we we did not have that fear factor anymore for teams. We were beaten by Madagascar also in that same tournament. So that's why I fear for the team. We don't go into games and teams feel that fear that they're playing against the Super Eagles. Now teams feel like they can get a point, they can get three points, they can get a job done against the Super Eagles. And that's my fear for the team.
0: Let's talk about uh, Amaju Pinnick and uh, a video which surfaced on social media just shortly after, uh, the, the, I want to say defeat, because it actually felt like it defeats the 4-4 draw against Syria alone, It's interesting because that is the uh, second time or first time only since uh, 1959, actually, that Nigeria um, considered four goals on home soil. Um, we've got to go back to the 6-2 uh, defeat against Egypt. Just two years before then, we also uh, considered four goals on home soil against Ghana. And um, Solis, I'm going to talk to you shortly about the article you put on, but let's talk about that Amadjupinic video. Um, that is something that is... We haven't seen so many times happen, you know, in in the Super Eagles uh, camp. Obviously, we know in this climb, the NFF are heavily involved with the process of the Super Eagles, and sometimes we argue that that shouldn't be the case. And it all seemed as if, though, in the last one or two years, there's been a bit of a separation of the powers that be in the Nigerian football space. How has um, that kind of video made it online, Solis?
1: I think it was a terribly misjudged idea to put that out on social media. I mean, you look—you have to look at everything in in a certain context. One of the issues that plagued Nigeria on the day was certainly complacency. After going four goals up, the team seemed to think the game was won and they sort of relaxed and dropped their levels and Sierra Leone took advantage. But really, when you look at it, that transparency trickled down from the top. We saw pictures before the game of Amaji Kovacic, among others, interf- I don't want to say interfering, but getting involved in the team's training. So you could, you could that kind of, an action like that sends the wrong message to the players that, okay, this is a position that necessarily won't give us much of a problem. I mean, you can't imagine, you wouldn't be able to imagine Pinnick doing that if we're playing against, say, Brazil, for example. You know, everybody would be switched on. And I'm using Brazil because um, Pinnick mentioned them during his very impassioned speech after the game. So that's just something to keep in mind. Um, if we're playing a really, an opponent that Pinnick considered you know, tough and one that they expected the team to be switched on for 90 minutes against, he wouldn't have done what he did. So that type sort of sent, him, sent a message to the players. So him coming out after the game and addressing the players in that manner and um, picking himself up basically for the great job he has done, which you know, is the job he was supposed to do anyway. He um, sort of felt like he was playing to the gallery and trying to cover, his, cover himself. More than anything else, so it it wasn't it wasn't a ter- uh, very well judged attempt at um, at covering his own behind. I think.
0: Uh, luckily, as uh, mentioned, of course, Amajupinic and a uh, lot of uh, top government officials uh, training with the team. I think Deputy Governor of Redoste was also involved with the, the team's training, and I think Sunny Dari, the uh, Honourable Minister for Youth and Sports. Uh, being involved, I mean, we talk about the super Eagles all the time, and the national team being the holy grail of Nigerian football should be carried as a, a premium product. And in many ways, um, the, the administrators say one thing, and their actions uh, say say another. You know, this clearly sends out, if not the the wrong message, but from an optics point of view, it clearly someone in that setup has got to tell the people if we don't win this game this becomes a disaster from a a PR point of view at least and it has proven to to be the case.
2: I I think I totally agree uh, uh, Yubi there's a there's a high level of irresponsibility going on there's a high level of mediocrity going on because you're about to play a competitive game and you have administrators football administrators in the country training with the Super Eagles there's so many angles to how wrong so many levels to how wrong what we saw before that game you know is but let's let's just put that aside now and talk about the fact that all of a sudden you know the team capitulated and these same admi- administrators are now trying to look to the, to the to the public like they are doing their jobs so now the minister is saying only a win will be acceptable in free time now Amaju has gone and, and, and made a speech in the, in the in the dressing room that has gone you know on, on social media. So now they are trying to show to the public that we're doing our jobs, which is which is very irresponsible. If you were doing your job, your jobs, you had no business being on the pitch training with the boys in the first place. More so where you're talking about everybody has been complaining about we, we've had COVID this year. It's been it's been it's been crazy this year so far from the from from a uh, pandemic point of view. So and, and so let's put it the right way. You know, the, the 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 president of the NFF is now trying to say that we've I've I've done my job. You know, we've paid for this, we've paid for that, we've paid for all of this, as if you are paying for all these things from your own money. You are you are an administrator. You are supposed to use the funds of the organization to better the football of the nation. I do not understand it. This is a high level of irresponsibility, as far as I'm concerned. And it's just annoying. It is. It is. It is silly, you know, for the want of a of, of a better word.
0: I'm just going to take uh, both your uh, comments on this. Uh, uh, Solely, uh, luckily, I really touched the point. I think uh, uh, it's certainly um, incensed by uh, the actions that happened. But uh, from a COVID point of view, I mean, Caf uh, put out a statement that no journalists would be allowed uh, to cover the game. I'm not quite sure how much that was um, adhered to. But, you know, from a public health point of view, the players coming from European football, coming from what you would call some sort of a bubble, an airtight bubble where, you know, they're tested twice a week and all that stuff, to have that much interference just sends out the wrong public or, you know, you know, um, national message that, you know, when they come back to Nigeria to play football, you know, they're not necessarily going to have the best public health you know um criterias and procedures followed because easily easily i mean anybody could have been could have been positive and that easily could have sent the game into jeopardy don't you think
1: yes and that really is why a lot of these photo ops were so badly misjudged i mean you can imagine what the clubs of some of these players are thinking. I mean, we saw some of the pictures after the first training session in Benin, and it was it was actually quite worrying to see the level of access that all kinds of random people were having to these players. I it, it calls into question a lot of the judgments of the of Nigerian football administrators, and that really, if 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 Pinnick wants to reel off the many things that he graciously has granted. Um, our super Eagles, who of course are at his mercy, he, he might be better served looking at himself and some of the conduct that he allowed to go on under his watch. I, I think I think this was a serious goof and a serious gaff. And if not for FIFA legislation that mandates clubs to release players, I think clubs will be having second thoughts about letting some of our Nigerian internationals come
0: down here to play for us. Well, it's a it's certainly going to be an interesting. Uh, game going into that Tuesday, um, second leg of the African Cup of Nations qualifier. Lakhul, I'm just going to take your final thoughts on, on the Super Eagles as far as uh, that qualifier goes. Uh, what do you expect in that game? Is there any um, remedy to what we saw? Does a win eventually wash away? Uh, everything is forgiven after a win.
2: Is that possible? No, I mean, from a from a personal point of view, I don't think everything is forgiven after a win. As far as uh, uh, the the qualifiers go, if you get a win, then Nigeria go to ten points. It's already, you know, a not so difficult group. A group that the Nigeria, the Super Eagles, should qualify from quite easily. So you get a win, they go to uh, ten points. Uh, so for a lot of fans, you know, they might think now we've won a game, so we can move on. But for for us football people, we know that the problems in that team remains and we need to fix those problems and how do we fix those problems we've got the same manager who is who have not who, he's not been able to fix those problems for the past three four years so that's the worry so i don't think it, for, as, as far as i'm concerned i don't think everything will be forgiven but i do hope we get a win what,
0: what would be success for uh, again in this final two years you know obviously he has um, made some some interesting records uh, in his time here filming the youngest national team in the in World Cup, uh, his, uh, the 2018 World Cup, uh, qualified the team to major tournaments with games to spare. And, um, you know, there's lots of positives. But in your mind now, at our lowest points, I would think, what would you say would be success when the contract
2: expires? I think, I think success would have to be winning, winning the AFCON. Easily. Easily. Because you've got every, everything to win it. You know, you've got a quality team, quality players all across the pitch. When you consider the fact that the last, the, the current champions of, of, of Africa got a manager in just about three or six months before the AFCON and they went on to win the AFCON, riding on the, on, the, on the amount of quality players that they have and the tactical uh, uh, prowess of the manager, success would have to be to win the AFCON. You've gone to the semi final, you've got to take a step further.
0: So, Liz, what, what will success be to you as we wrap up?
2: Uh, yeah, there is definitely an honest on Geron Roe to win the
1: Afcon, but we all know tournament football can be tricky. So I would say that um, for me, the major barometer for success for Geron Roe will be what he does at the next World Cup um, in, in Qatar. That really is the, the yardstick by which I think he should be judged out stage and possibly to a quarter final. I think people will be more inclined to look upon his time in charge of Nigeria favourably.
0: Fantastic. Brilliant. Uh, our thoughts, of course, are uh, still with uh, Victor Simon, who picked up an injury in that first game. We don't want to talk about that. And of course, uh, heading into uh, the next uh, couple of weeks, we wish him a speedy recovery as he was just beginning to, you know, get in the groove of things for his uh, club side at Napoli. Right then, gentlemen, international football wraps up this week for the final time in 2020. And Liverpool uh, cannot seem to catch a break, or well, Injuries left, right, and centre. Henderson, we're just hearing is in doubt. As the injury list grows, Trent, of course, picked up an injury for the international break. Alex of the Chamberlain already uh, in the injury uh, room. Tiago Akantara, Virgil, and Dyke, Andy Robertson, who of course was involved with Scotland in that famous uh, victory over Serbia. Uh, the list just keeps uh, growing.
2: Ah, uh, it's 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 very unfortunate for Liverpool. I. I find it difficult to, to see how they navigate these difficult times because with Van Dyke out, they've been able to manage the, the situation. They've won the game since he's been out. They haven't really considered so much, you know. But when you then have players like Henderson also going on the treatment table, Robertson, all of these important players then the, the quality of the team begins to shrink further. And that's a big problem. So uh, let's see how it goes. They're a top team anyway. And the job of a top team is to fix each problem as they come your way. Um, Jürgen Klopp would definitely know that it is, it is, it is a difficult job to defend the, 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 the Premier League title. More so when you've got you know the amount of uh, injuries that they're having. But on the flip side... It might turn out to be a blessing in these guys towards the tail end of the season if they can navigate this um, uh, 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 difficult time. Some of these players might return, maybe just in perf- perfect time.
0: Uh, so, what do Liverpool need to do to uh, stem the To so Do they, like Alakou right? Reddy says, top teams are ultimately judged on how they can surmount these hurdles, but do you think this is a hurdle too too far to surmount?
1: Uh, I, I i have a lot of sympathy for liverpool they've the truth is they've been quite fortunate in terms of injuries leading up up until this mm. season i mean so one might say they they were due something like this but this is just um unreasonably ba- unreasonable bad luck for them i, I don't know how they how this surmount this. they've already done a good job since Peugeot and i got injured Pippering over the cracks and patching things up, but losing both their full backs now would probably be a step too far. We, we know um Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander Arnold are a big part of how Liverpool play going forward. So not only might that lead to them be more leaky at the back, but but also see the attacking efficiency diminish. Um I'm 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 interested to see how Jurgen Klopp manages this and how he turns this around. I'm more intrigued, I'm more intrigued than any. I'm not I'm not sure we he'll see points and start dropping off a little bit as the season goes on before these guys come back. But if he's able to pull it off, I think that would only add to his reputation as um, the finance manager in the game.
0: Brilliant. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure to have uh, both of you on a Monday morning. I'm sure uh, your week uh, has just uh, begun and I'm wishing you uh, all the best as, of course, we hustle through uh, everything Lagos uh, throws at us. It's been a pleasure, luckily and solid. Uh,
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Yubi. Um, Enjoyed myself, obviously, as usual. Feels good to be back on the podcast and looking forward to more episodes. So
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a real pleasure. Hopefully the Super Eagles give us something to smile about on Tuesday and we can get the bad taste of Friday out of our mouths, collectively.
0: Brilliant. Uh, Please do subscribe to the Hindsight Podcast if you're just joining us for the first time. Uh, visit your podcast platforms, uh, preferably Google, Apple, and Spotify uh, platforms. Simply search The Hindsight Podcast. Well, The Hindsight Podcast is an association with
2: com. My name is Yubi. I'm going over it. See you soon.